Good morning, everyone. I'd like to start with a challenging question. Do you need professional help? Do you need professional help? About a month or two ago, I thought I needed professional help. My uh, car uh, air conditioner stopped working. And if you're like me, and you spend uh, an hour or two on the road every day, commuting back and forth from work, especially when in the afternoon the, the sun is shining right through the driver's seat at you, you appreciate having air conditioning. So I felt I needed professional help, and so I took my car to the mechanic, and uh, after poking around a little bit, the mechanic explained to me that it would cost $650 for him to open up my air conditioner and figure out what's wrong. And uh, then the money will start adding up from that point on, depending what was actually wrong. And uh, that was when I was thinking, you know, maybe there's a less expensive way to do this. And I talked to one of my neighbors, who I know does some repair work on his car, and I thought, you know, it can't hurt to try. So I asked him, you know, what do you think might be wrong with my car, or what would you recommend I do to try to get it fixed? And he said, uh, if you go to the next picture, that he had a similar problem in his car, and it turned out to be something called the relay switch. This is something, when you press the button in your car to turn on the air conditioning, it basically turns on that device. And then that device is what turns on your air conditioner. At least, at least that's my very limited understanding of how this works. This is my first time I did anything to try to repair my car by myself. And uh, yeah, $14 from Amazon saved me $650 plus. In this case, I did not need professional help. Right? I was able to do this myself. About five years ago, as I was driving my car, you see I'm doing a lot of driving of my car. Uh, I think I've told this story before. As I was driving, I noticed that there was a, a point underneath my elbow that, that felt a little bit painful. As I was resting it on, on my, uh, my car's door as I was driving, and upon inspection, I saw I had a lump inside of that spot underneath my, my skin, maybe even underneath my muscle. And uh, did I need professional help? I did. <laughs> I had to go to uh, the doctor. And they, after uh, uh, quite a few exams, they decided I had a tumor in my hand. It was, a, uh, I believe, a schwannoma. Uh, tumor in the sheath of the nerve tissue, which, uh, praise the Lord, was not, um, what's the word for it? Was not malignant, so, but I still had it removed. That was a problem I could not take care of myself. I couldn't cut open my arm and take out this tumor. <laughs> Very clearly, I needed professional help. What about your soul? So we need, sometimes we need professional help to take care of our uh, physical uh, property, like a car. Sometimes we need professional help to take care of our, our body's problem, our health. What about our soul? Right? We don't often think about our soul's need. When I was in college, shortly after becoming a believer, I uh, found a little track. I don't know if Michael is here. He might remember it actually being posted on the door of my fraternity uh, house room. I, I had a my own room, that was a privilege. You had to be there for a while to get your own room, so I was allowed to post something on my door for every passerby to read because I wanted them to think about it. 
and uh, it uh, says this, the clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to know just when the clock will stop at late or early hour. To lose one's wealth, like a car, is sad indeed. To lose one's health is more. But to lose one's soul is such a loss that no one can restore. Do you need professional help this morning? I would say that you do need professional help for your soul. What do you need in order to believe that you need professional help for your soul? Well, number one, you need to believe you have a soul. That, I don't take that for granted because I grew up in a secular environment and I wasn't told I had a soul. <laughs> okay. But that soul is that part of us that will endure beyond the grave. One day this body will be no more. Right? It will go the way of all the earth. But I will go on. And the part of me that will go on is my soul. Right? If you believe you have a soul, you may need professional help. You need to believe that your soul has a problem, right? If you think my soul is perfectly well, all is well with my soul, I don't need professional help for my soul, right? I, I wasn't taught that I needed help, but the Bible says, here God speaks in Ezekiel, he says, Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Do you have sin in your soul? Does your soul sin? I did not think, I had a very low opinion of sin as I grew up, but at some point God convicted me that I was a sinner. When I did something that was uh, selfish and hurt somebody else, and I realized I would do it again given a chance. I think that's when, for the first time, I realized that I was a sinner. Are you a sinner? Do you fall short of the glory of God? If so, you might need professional help. And last, if you believe you cannot fix the problem yourself. Some people think they can fix it on their own. If I do a certain number of good works, if I walk an old woman across the street, if I go to church, if I give money, if I do this or that, then I can fix the problem of my soul. Well, you might think you don't need professional help. But if you don't believe you can really fix the problem, right? If you cannot fix the problem of your sin, then you need professional help. Praise God, we have professional help offered to us in the Bible. And we saw this in Hebrews chapter 5. And uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and just back up a little bit. We're going to be looking at chapter 7 today. But just in way of review, we'll start in chapter 5 and we'll see the professional help that God is offering for our soul. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So here we see God's professional help. It's called a priest or a high priest. He's taken among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, meaning God has given someone the necessary tools and capabilities and position to help you and me. And that's called a high priest. It's the priest that helps your relationship with God. Right? Now, uh, 
it goes on and presents Jesus to us as the high priest. Uh, verse 4, so we're kind of skipping in, in chapter 5 a little bit to verse 4. It says, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So the first priest that would come to mind if you were a Hebrew, and we remember that this book was written to the Hebrews or Jews, would be Aaron, right? Aaron was uh, the first high priest of the nation of Israel. As God led them out of Egypt, as God gave them the law, he assigned the job to a man named Aaron. He was going to be Israel's first high priest. And the rest of Israel's priests were to come from his descendants, right? So to be a priest in Israel, you had to be a descendant of Aaron, right? No one can take to himself the right of being high priest. If you told me you were a high priest and you could help me, you can give me professional help for my soul, I would ask, where did you get this credential of being a high priest? And he might say, well, I just decided to become one. Well, I have a concern. Will God accept your services? Right? Well, in this case, we know God would have accepted the services of Aaron because he appointed Aaron. He continues and going, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So we see on one side we have Aaron as the high priest, on the other side we have Christ or Jesus is now being offered to us as God's high priest. Now, this letter was written to Hebrews, or people from a Jewish background, and they might be a little bit confused, right? They've, they've believed in Christ, they've believed in Jesus. He is the one that God sent to them to make them right with God. But they might say, well, what about the Aaronic priesthood, right? Well, God gave us another priesthood in the past. And as they're struggling, as we were seeing in this book of Hebrews, under persecution, their faith is being attacked, some of them might say, well, you know, maybe I want to go back to the Aaronic priesthood option, right? Here I'm suffering persecution under Jesus. Well, well, I'll just go over here, right? There's another way to be right with God. And the purpose of the book of the Hebrews, among other things, is to show, you know what? This door has been closed. There's a big X on it. You can no longer approach God through the Aaronic priesthood. And the priesthood that God is offering through, through Christ is much, much better than what God offered the nation of Israel through Aaron. And he will spend the next three chapters on this subject. Okay. Now today he's just going to focus on the subject of the calling of Jesus, right? So, so Aaron was called as high priest, and now Jesus is called as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So we have a whole half chapter we're going to look at today where he explains the significance of Jesus being called priest according to the order of Melchizedek and how that is in particular better than the priesthood or the order that God had for the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood. Right? Now, we're going to go ahead and, and say a few things about that. First of all, we recognize that this is going to be something we'll struggle with a little bit because he says here that uh, he has a lot to say of Melchizedek, but it's hard to explain, right? That's uh, Hebrews uh, 5.11. 
So we, we're, going, we're, we're going to have some hard work for us to do, right? The author himself was struggling a little bit. How am I going to explain it to the Hebrews? So if the Jews are going to have a hard time to explain it, how much more are we, right? Most of us not from a Jewish background, 2,000 years later, right? You know, we, it, it, it will be difficult, right? But we're going to do our best. And the other thing, uh, he says in verse 6-1 uh, that we are to go on to perfection, right? So these, the, uh, these believers, the Hebrews, they've been introduced to the gospel. They understand the gospel. They've trusted in Christ as saved, right? But it's, it's as if there was something lacking, right? And I think this is, again, part of the purpose that God wrote the book of Hebrews is uh, there's some wrapping up to do, right? You have the Aaronic priesthood being presented to us as a valid way to God in the Old Testament. And people might be wondering today, what about that as an option? It's, uh, an illustration I can think of it is when a baby comes out of his mother's womb, he is still connected to the mother or really to, to what comes out during the birth with this uh, thing called a, the cord, umbilical cord, right? And it's almost like there's something left over, right? And God wants to show us, you know, he, he snips it off, right? We need to complete the picture, right? The Le Levitical priesthood was a wonderful thing that God made, but we need to neatly tie it off and understand exactly where that belongs, right? So that's the perfection that I believe he wants to explain to them. He wants them to fully understand how it is that Jesus really is the way to God, and the Levitical priesthood need to now be set aside, right? We need to complete the birth process, right, that the Jews went through. And uh, so as we're going through it, what's the value to us? Because we, I, I anticipate there may be some struggles as we go through this passage uh, to, to understand and to appreciate what's being told. I think for one of the benefits we have is really a better understanding how the Old and the New Testament connect. Right? You may have been a believer for a while and maybe reading and like, why does God have all this stuff in the Old Testament? Right? And really, it's a picture of what Christ will accomplish in the New Testament. And, and in this passage in Hebrews, God kind of wraps it up and helps us understand how all of that, all of that connects together. Right? Um, I think it will help us as we see Christ fulfilling so perfectly these prophecies in the Old Testament. Remember, this is something people today often forget. A lot of people think the Bible was written after Jesus. So no, you know, no wonder the Bible is pointing to Jesus so neatly, right? It's believers in Jesus wrote it. So what's value is there for us of the fact it points to him so well, meaning in the sense that it's not predictive, it's explanatory. That's not true. Two-thirds or three-quarters of the Bible were written before the time of Christ, and we have copies going before the time of Christ. And there's wonderful confirmation as Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies that Jesus really is the Son of God, and he really is the way to heaven. How do we know? Because it was all there beforehand, right? The Old Testament was already written. There were prophecies, and as Jesus came, he fulfilled them in ways humanly impossible. So who could have done such a thing? Only God, right? So there could be an encouragement to our faith, a strengthening of our faith, in, in Christ, right, by going through the passage. And finally, if you haven't yet come to the point of laying your soul at the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, save me, Lord. You are the professional help that I need. Hopefully, this will be an encouragement for you to do that as well. Right, he's offering salvation. Okay, so we'll go through the passage and hope that the Lord will bless it to us as we go through it. 
Um, so with that, let's turn to Hebrews 7 and look at the first half of our passage. Hebrews 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithe from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithe from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithe, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithe, paid tithe through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Malkitzedek met him. I, I'm uh, reminded of my remiss, remission. Um, we often will give somebody an opportunity to, uh, to quote uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which we look at as the key verses of the passage. And uh, someone actually mentioned they'd be ready today, so I was going to give them an opportunity to recite it. Sam, do you feel up to the test? Sure. Would you stand and say it nice and loud? Thank you, Sam. Right, so we remember we are to look to Jesus, right? That's the message of the book of Hebrews. And certainly we are to look to him as our great high priest, our professional uh, helper of the soul, if you would, or savior of the soul. Now, the author turns to the subject of Melchizedek, right? Because we said uh, the calling of Christ is according to the order of Melchizedek, right? This is, as, as the author will be going through um, this process of severing the umbilical cord to the Levitical priesthood is going to leave no stone unturned and he will touch every aspect of the ministry of Christ as high priest to show that he is really God's high priest, really the one to whom we should go for our professional help. And uh, the first point he will, he will tackle would be this question of calling, right? So Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, will look to Aaron, and they will keep pointing to Aaron. Look, God selected Aaron, and we are a descendant of Aaron, and therefore we have a position as God's priest or God's high priest. Jesus instead will point to the calling. God said very clearly that he is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, that's found in the Old Testament in uh, Psalm 110. 
for the sake of time, we're not going to read that psalm. But God very clearly calls him the priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So here the author turns and says, well, who exactly was Melchizedek, right? And why being of the order of Melchizedek should be something that's considered perhaps higher or better than being of the order of Aaron or of the Levitical priesthood, right? And so we'll turn to, to Melchizedek and we'll try to find out what does the Bible tell us about this person named Melchizedek, right? And you'd have to turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 14, Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. There we have uh, the person called Melchizedek. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. That is, Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. So this is a curious event in the history of the Bible. If some of you may recall, when Abraham came to the Promised Land, he had with him his nephew called Lot. And the, God was blessing them so much that they couldn't live together anymore. They had, each of them had herds that were too large. So they had to split. And Abraham gave Lot the option. And Lot chose to go to the city of Sodom and dwell there, which we think would be a curious thought, considering what we know about Sodom later on. Well, God uh, allows these kings to come from the north and conquer Sodom and take Lot captive. When Abraham hears about it, he takes his uh, 300 and some trained servants in his household, some of his allies, and he goes and he attacks these kings, and he defeats them, and he gets Lot back, he gets all the people of Sodom back, and all this treasure that these kings collected, he's taking back, with him, and on his way back is when this man, Melchizedek, meets him on the way. And uh, it says, Melchizedek brought up bread and wine, which is, you know, it's a wonderful, as we see him, a picture of the Lord Jesus, and we think about the bread and wine, right? We just celebrated, we just worshiped the Lord Jesus uh, in, in the breaking of bread, and recognize the bread represents his body, and the wine or the grape juice represents his blood. Right? So it's neat how even in that way, here we see a picture of Jesus already. Uh, but we know Jesus came from his line, right? In the sense of not, not genetically, but he is a priest according to that order. So there's already a couple of things here we can note that show his greatness. Well, for one thing, uh, he's a king, right? Aaron wasn't a king, right? Well, Melchizedek was a king. And not just a, any king, he was a king of Salem. Well, Salem was the early name for Jerusalem. Right? Now, Jerusalem is the most famous city in the Bible. It was the capital of Israel, and it's called the city of God. And in fact, we are waiting for the new Jerusalem. Right? So if I had to go to choose between two high priests, choosing the king of the city of God would be a good place to go. <laughs> Already, there's some advantage there. The other is we're told that he is the priest of the Most High God. Well, that's kind of uh, curious. You know, up to now we, we only were aware of the, of the Aaronic priesthood, right, being a priest of God. Well, here we have a priest of God who actually predates them, right? I mean, the priesthood from the line of Aaron is still waiting 400 years before it's going to show up on the earth. And here's already a priest of God, right, well before that. Okay, so that's what I called his superiority in history, right? We already see 
Melchizedek stands out. Okay, uh, second, we see a great greatness in his name. When I had my lump in my arm, and uh, you know, I had some you know, choice maybe which doctors to go to, uh, and eventually a particular doctor was selected to me, and, and I was you know, happy when I went and I saw the title of the particular clinic and particular doctor. Well, he was a specialist in doing surgeries to remove tumors out of your limbs. Well, that's good, <laughs> right? That's the kind of person I'm looking for, right? He has the right title to attract my attention when I have a tumor in my arm. Um, in a similar way, if you think about the name Melchizedek, what does that mean? Well, it means king of righteousness. And I'm looking for a professional help for my soul. I'm a sinner, and I need someone to make me right with God. A king of righteousness, right? That would be a good person to help me, right? Someone who is a king of righteousness. Right? A good title for the Lord Jesus. A king of righteousness. Um, second, as far as to his name, the meaning of his name, he is the king of Salem. Well, the word Salem, if you may recognize a similar word, shalom. What does shalom mean? It means peace, right? So he's not just the king of righteousness, he is the king of peace. Right? I want someone to help me and give me peace with God. Right? I am a sinner, I am an enemy of God. I want someone who will make peace between me and God. Who better than the king of peace? Right? Here I have somebody who can really help me. Okay, so uh, the third greatness we notice here, I call it the greatness of his presentation in Scripture, and it's really more of a lack of presentation. Uh, this guy shows up out of nowhere. Right? We don't know where he comes from. Uh, the, way, the way it says it in the passage, it says, uh, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days, no end of life. We don't know anything about this guy. And what the author is pointing out, he's made like the Son of God. Right? You know, where did this guy come from? You know, that is a priest of God, is a, is a king of Jerusalem. He's greater than Abraham, as we will see shortly. And he just disappears like that. We never hear of him again. Right? It's almost like the Son of God has come to earth and lived here for just a few years to take this particular position. Right? He's made like the Son of God. Now, we don't know that he really was the Son of God. Some people speculate he was. But it was just a picture. Right? He's a picture of Christ. Right? A person, Jesus, you know, doesn't require a father or mother or genealogy. As it happens to be, he has all. But he is the Son of God. Right? God doesn't have a genealogy. He was there at the beginning. Right? He doesn't have an end. There's no death recorded because he'll live forever and ever. Right? He's a picture of that is what it says. Now, there's also a curious note. It says that uh, he remains a priest continually. And the point of that is, when you are a priest, you are a priest for life, right? It's not like president. You know, you're elected president four years or eight years later, you're elected up, right? They actually retain the title president, but they lose the power of it. not so with the priest. As long as you are alive, you are a high priest. You, are, you will forever do your job. And so Melchizedek, representing Jesus, is representing an unchanging priesthood. It never goes away. The priesthood of Jesus is just as good today as it was 2,000 years ago. It remains in force because he does not die. Okay, number four, as we're comparing here, again, the Levitical priesthood and the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek is the greatness of his action. 
right? So Melchizedek uh, stands out here in two ways. First of all, he blesses Abraham. I had a kind of a picture of it. It's hard to find a picture of Melchizedek. You'll have to uh, find some artist, artist rendition of the event. But uh, he blesses Abraham. Well, why is that significant? Well, the scripture tells us that the lesser is blessed by the greater. Right? I don't seek, seek someone lower than me to bless me. I, I seek someone higher than me right, for the blessing to have value. And so the very fact he blesses Abraham shows he's greater than Abraham. Right? There's no other way to look at it. And that's impressive because Abraham is a very great person, right? He's the one who's, you know, whose blessings we're happy to share in, right? We're, we're the heirs of God's blessings and promises to Abraham. Here is someone that was greater than Abraham, absolutely amazing. And um, then also, in the fact, Abraham gives him a tenth of all. Remember, Abraham just amassed this great treasure conquering these kings, and now Abraham is giving Melchizedek a tenth of all that great treasure. Why? Well, the picture uh, used here borrows from the fact that this is a tithe, right? The nation of Israel or the tribes of Israel were tithing to the tribe of the Levites. Why? Because the Levites were serving, giving them divine service, right? The Levites were the ones who were, were assuring Israel's right standing with God by taking care of the tabernacle, right? And for that service, because the Levites were providing that priestly service to Israel, Israel would give him a tithe. So here Abraham is giving a tithe to Melchizedek. He is acknowledging that Melchizedek was rendering him divine service. Right? Why is that so significant? Well, in, in biblical order, a child is never greater than his parent. Right? So we, we would connect the Levitical priesthood to Aaron and then to Levi, and then if you'd go through Levi, you'd get to Abraham. So the very fact that Abraham is here subservient to Melchizedek is automatically saying that Levi is subservient to Melchizedek. Right? So, so if you have to pick one or two, right? Levitical priesthood, the priesthood according to Melchizedek, which one would you pick? Right? You know, which hand is the marvel? Right? It should be obvious. We should look, go for them to the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay. So that should be clear. Clearly, we have a greater priesthood on the one side than the other. Now, let's go ahead and return to our passage in chapter 7. We'll continue in verse 11, and we'll read to the end of our passage in verse 19. <clears throat> Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And yet it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandments, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 
For on the one hand, we have an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So here the author is going to get very clear about the fact that, you know, door number one is no longer available, right? And we really have here door number two, which was better anyways. But it's really the only door that's left offered to us. First he says, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, let's for now assume that this priesthood was really perfect, right? And, and, and the, the claim to fame is under it the law was given, right? So if you think of the law of God, the books of the law, well, they were given under the Levitical priesthood. So they can say, well, you know, God is perfect, his law must be perfect, therefore we must be perfect, right? But if this was the case, well, why is God all of a sudden saying, I'm going to bring another priest according to the order of Melchizedek, right? What it means is uh, there's a problem here, right? If this was God's ultimate good plan for us, he would never have brought another priest. Now, because God does very clearly bring another priest, it means there's a problem, okay? Now, we need to be careful. It's not that there's a problem with God. God is perfect. It's not that there's a problem in what God said, but there's just a limitation of what God planned to do with the Levitical priesthood. Okay? And uh, we have a good explanation of that uh, for us later on in Hebrew. Hebrew. So I'll, I'll go ahead and borrow a verse from there. <clears throat> it says in Hebrews 10.1, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. The law having a shadow. The law is a picture, right? The Levitical priesthood was a picture of what God was going to do through Christ, right? And now that the real thing is here, we're going to close this door. We don't need it anymore. So there wasn't anything wrong with this door. It was just never meant to bring us all the way to God. It was just a picture of what God was going to do. Right? So very clearly, the very fact that God is bringing a new order of priesthood means you know, this one had a limited value. Right? And in fact, the very law that backed it is now going to change. Right? Now, I know there's a... I think we just said last time of how God doesn't change. His word stands forever. Now, it doesn't mean that God cannot change a law that he put in place. And a good example of that is uh, God telling Abraham to offer up Isaac, his son, as a burnt offering. If you remember, God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him to me as a burnt offering. And, God, and, and Abraham goes and he obeys. And as he raises up the knife to strike his son, God says, stop. Right? Is God contradicting himself? Well, not really. He told him to go and do it. He went and did it, and God said, good. You obeyed me. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. Purpose accomplished. No need to kill your son. Right? I see, I see it was in your heart. You're willing to do it. Right? And the same thing here. God commanded this to Israel, but it, it had in God's plan just a limited duration. Okay, done. Okay? Good you obeyed me, or maybe you didn't obey me so well, but we're done with this program. Okay? This law has reached its limit, and now we're going to change the law. Right? There's another way to God, and that's through the priesthood. 
Then we see here how Christ fulfills this particular priesthood, right? Someone might say, well, you know, how is Christ a fulfillment of Melchizedek? Or is it possible we're looking for somebody else? And there's two ways in which Christ is fulfilling it here, right? It says, it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. So at first, it would seem a weakness. Wait a second. A priest must be from the, line, uh, from the tribe of Levi. Right? How could Christ be a priest if he's not from the tribe of Levi? But now we have this prophecy of Melchizedek that says, no, he will not be. It's a completely new order. And so the fact that he's not from the tribe of Levi is a strength. It makes him fit the prophecy. Right? Why would God make a priesthood from another line unless the Messiah would be from another line? Right? So the very fact Jesus is from another line is here fulfilling this prophecy. It fits the picture. Right? That's, what, that's the point of then he continues and says, and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. How can we see that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek? What is his sign, which he shows the whole world, is that he is a priest? The fact he rose from the dead. Right? That's, that's really Jesus' sign. When people ask Jesus for a sign, teacher, show us a sign that we will believe in you. When in their hearts they wanted to reject him, he said, just one sign. Right? As, as Jonah, Prophet Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Right? And then he would rise. It's the one sign that crosses through the ages. Right? If people today you know, doubt the claim of Christ. The only real evidence we have is the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. How do we know he rose from the dead? Well, we have the record of Scripture, and he had so many enemies around that as soon as this statement was made, he rose from the dead, you know, they would have gone, found the body, and brought it to show to the world. The fact that all his enemies, with all the might of the Roman Empire, could not produce a body means one thing, Jesus rose from the dead. Right? And if Jesus rose from the dead, he is a perfect fulfillment of the Melchizedek priesthood. Why? Because he says, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. How can he be a priest forever? Only if he rises from the dead. Right? So his resurrection just makes him fit perfectly God's promise of giving us another priest, another professional helper of the soul, according to the order of Melchizedek, by his rising from the dead. Finally, we have here for us the statements in verse 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. There's a big X over here, right? This door is number closed. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we may draw near to God. And I just want to finish with that thought, this better hope that we have of drawing near to God. So what do we mean by better hope? Well, it could mean that we have much more reason to trust in Christ, right, than the Jews ever had to trust the Levitical system. Right? I mean, a Jew may have doubted and say, you know, is this, are these people qualified professionals? Right? Can they really help me? Right? We have a lot more reasons to put our faith in Christ. Right, to save us than they had to put the trust in the Levitical priesthood. Okay? So that's one way. And the author will be going through that through the next 
three chapters. I'm showing how, how much better is what Christ offering us, the help Christ is offering us, compared to the help they were offering the people that were coming to them. But uh, the main thought that I have here, or the main thing I see here, is that Jesus really is offering us more. Right? So it says here that through which we draw near to God. So I want to stop and think about how near is Jesus drawing us to God. And first, I'll start with the counterexample. Well, how near did the Levitical priests draw you to God? I have a, a picture of the tabernacle. And uh, if you, uh, can you get that picture up, please? I'm working on it. Okay. So that's a picture of the tabernacle, as you may remember. This is what God commanded uh, the Jews to build for him in the wilderness, right? Because he had to dwell in the midst of a sinful people, right? And there's a problem. Holy God, sinful people, big problem, right? And we see it as we look at the history of the nation of Israel. So he made a particular way in which he could dwell in the midst of the nation. And where he dwelt, uh, if you maybe switch to the next picture really quick, inside that tent, there's actually a room called the Holy of Holies. And uh, there's a curtain or the veil that separates it from the rest of that inner tent. And God dwells in the Holy of Holies, right? That's where God put his presence, right? And uh, go ahead and zoom up to the other picture. So if you were a common Jew, right, which would be most likely the case, the closest you would get is the, get is the gate of that basically surrounded uh, that fence, right? You can go there and bring your goat. You just committed a sin, or maybe you wanted to offer God some, some praise offering, right? This is as close as you would get to God. You'd get to that gate, you deliver the goat or whatever you brought to the priest, and then the priest could take it somehow farther in. He could maybe offer it on the burnt offering, uh, depending what it is. Maybe it will make it as close as the tent itself, but you're stuck at the gate, right? You're never coming any closer to that, right? Now, what, what happens in the case of Jesus? Well, we're told in Hebrews 10, uh, <clears throat> 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh. How close Jesus is bringing you? All the way, right? You're not stopping at the gate. You're not st stopping as you get to that tent. You're not stopping as you're facing the veil. You're going all the way into the presence of God, right? That's what Jesus is offering us. And uh, we, we can see it perhaps in uh, John 1.12. It says, uh, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. How close are you to God? You are his child. How, how close is that? I have uh, <coughs> some lovely children, and uh, I, I, I thank God for the blessing of having them. And uh, sometime me and my kids will, uh, will roughhouse a little bit. I think I, I may have an image of that. <laughs> and uh, you know what? If you tried to hang on me like that, that wouldn't be very cool with me. But my children, they can do that, right? Because they're close to me, right? When God tells us that we are his children, 
right? This is the kind of closeness he is talking about, right? We can be so close to God. So I just have uh, two applications from this passage. So depending where you are, right? If you don't know the Lord, right? If you are still standing without, right? Haven't yet come for professional help. Let me recommend him to you, right? Jesus is the professional help that you need. He can bring you all the way to the presence of God. And uh, if you are a believer like me today, as I was uh, preparing this passage, I was convicted of the fact that often I don't take advantage of this nearness that I have to God. Right? Often I am walking or struggling and feeling dry, feeling empty, uh, feeling the struggles of this world, when in truth is God is available to me. Just as my children can almost always <laughs> come to me and enjoy uh, any level of closeness, of intimacy with me. So God is, is always available for us. And the limitation is rather in me, of remembering God is available. Turn to God. Right? Anywhere I am, I can cry out to God. And immediately I feel his closeness. It says this, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is Fullness of joy. Whenever I'm not experiencing joy, there is one reason I'm not in the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, there's no reason for us to stay out of God's presence and miss out on his joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that, that you do explain to us in the book of Hebrews uh, his, uh, his uh, 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 imminence, his, his greatness over uh, the Levitical uh, priesthood. And uh, I, we pray that if anybody here hasn't yet committed themselves into uh, the, the arms of a, of a loving Savior, the Lord Jesus, we pray that they'll do so, that they'll even do so today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.